Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Christian Malau, who's the EVP of Corporate for Equinox Gold. They're, everyone's talking about their imminent merger with Lee Gold. We stay away from that topic as it's due to conclude later this month, and it's a pretty well covered topic in the market. We talk about what happens next, and that is when companies get larger, they sometimes also get a little bit lazy. Christian talks us why he's hoping to retain their entrepreneurial spirit and the measures they're putting in place to ensure that they do. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Hello, Christian, how are you, sir? Very good, uh, good morning from Vancouver. Yeah, good, yeah, and good afternoon here from London. Um, long time no speak. I think when we last spoke, you were just one of those tiny little four hundred million dollar companies, right? How times have yeah, changed. Yeah, I mean the world is the world has changed very significantly, both the market and and gold, but also I think with this recent merger, it's really given us sort of some scale that uh, has come on the radar of a lot of people now. Brilliant. Okay, well we're going to get into that. Let's kick off with that usual one minute summary for people, unbelievably, who may not have heard of your story. Yeah, so it's Equinox Gold. I mean, we started it about two years ago. Um, Ross Beattie's the core shareholder and largest shareholder. Um, this is kind of his bookend to his career in building a gold company in parallel to basically Pan American Silver. So our goal is really to create that multi-asset, uh, multi-jurisdiction, larger cap eventually investable gold company that we'll see through many cycles. And so we started in Brazil and California with uh, now two operating mines and a third one being built, being Castle Mountain. Mm. And then with this recent merger here, we're going to add um, a large mine in Mexico, being Los Filos. And then as well, another sort of three operating mines in Brazil with a fourth one to be built. So we'll have six operating mines and four growth or development projects um, with, you know, six to 700,000 ounces of annual production now going towards a million ounces in the next couple of years as we build out the profile of the portfolio of the company. So really going from, you know, as you said, smaller cap, mid cap sort of space into that good size mid cap to maybe even on the lower end of the larger cap space. Okay, th th thanks for that summary. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some of those moving parts in a second. Now, I remember when we talked, I say you were only a $400 million company, but, some of the things which we quite liked at the time were the fact that you guys were taking very small remuneration packages in terms of salaries, etc. But you were taking a lot of this in shares. You laid out your plans for us then and you seem to have delivered those. So that is all positive. And I think with Mr. Beattie on board and you talked about Medavala as well, there's potential there. Those things have come on board. Ross has followed his money. Medavala have come on board. You're talking to a lot more institutional players at the moment and you're kind of in a way, buying your success. You're capable of buying the success. Um, can you just you know, tell us about some of the targets that you set yourselves then and whether or not you feel that you've met those today? Yeah, in a way, they come in two baskets. We set some targets to basically finance and build out our portfolio, mm. which we, we did. We built Arizona, got it into production in northern Brazil last year, and it's been mm. producing very nicely for a couple of quarters now. So that was the first target. The second one was to finance and get Castle Mountain into production, which is basically um, halfway through construction now. It'll be ready to pour gold in the third quarter here this year, so months away, and um, continue to operate that smallish portfolio and deliver some value to shareholders through um, some liquidity, increased scale, 
um, you know, getting into some of the indices eventually. And I would say we were well on track towards doing that. But our second sort of basket of, of growth and opportunity was really on the acquisition front and, and merger front. And that's where the Leah Gold deal falls into this. And it sort of doubles the scale of this company. And as you said, Ross has followed his money. He's putting another $40 million into this deal at markets. And, you know, we continue to hold a significant portion of the shares and on pro forma basis, I think we'll own over 11% as insiders, you know, Ross obviously being the largest portion of that. Mm. And I think our next closest peer in the 500 to 2 million ounce per year production range is about 1.7% is what I've heard from a couple of commentators. So really differentiates people. This is a long-term business with a long-term core set of owner managers. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's absolutely the case. I mean, you said that at the time, and I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, continues to be the case um, today. But can you tell me about some of the um, targets you've set yourself and, what, and, you know, why you've set yourself those targets? For instance, obviously, you've got greater institutional uh, shareholder. The register is much more institutionalized. You know, why was that important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the the capital pools out there um, certainly sit the larger ones in institutional hands. And, you know, a lot of our peers and certainly in the billion to two billion dollar market cap sort of range, you know, they're heavily supported by some of the precious metal specialist institutions, but also some of the generalists out there um, looking for exposure to gold, particularly as the cycle turns and it seems like it's continuing to turn. And our goal really was to diversify that shareholder base. We have been supported very heavily by by the Ross PDs, Lucas Lundins, uh, Richard Warks of this world, high net worths. Um, and I think it's time that also we hopefully give an opportunity for those institutions mm. to come in. And we've seen that slowly happening. And I believe in the next six to 12 months here, as we become sort of that scalable producer and we start getting into indices, you'll see more and more of the institutions buying in. I'm, there's even anecdotal evidence recently with this high liquidity since the announcement of the merger that a few of those funds are already dipping their toe in the water. Yeah, I think that is the case. But, you know, those funds have thresholds that, you know, that you need to be, you know, share price needs to be over a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars for them for them to come and play. But you mentioned the indices there. I mean, that is a game changer. You now, well, once the Lee Gold uh, deal goes through, I think you're waiting to hear from the Mexicans as to whether or not that will, will happen. Is that was that a, was that a big target that you set yourselves back in you know August September time when you were when you're looking at you know how do you advance this thing? Yeah, certainly as as Equinox Gold, one of our targets was to get into the indices um, on a standalone basis, and I know Leo Gold had the same same target in the sense we were similar size. Hmm. So um, by getting our assets into production, doing some exploration, continuing to build up the portfolio, each both of us on an individual basis, we're very close but on the cusp of that. Um, you know, needing daily liquidity was probably the key threshold for both of us to meet. And, you know, we were both doing give or take a million, maybe up to $2 million a day on occasion. And now since the mergers happened, you know, quite often we've been doing 10 to $20 million a day, um, which is a huge step change. And, and that kind of threshold has really opened the eyes of a lot of larger investors. And certainly we've talked to, you know, Joe Foster in New York who runs Van Eck and, and you know, potentially could be the second largest or largest shareholder in the next six months as we come into the indices. Right, so, so it, it's nothing short of good news all around. And when you close, close the legal deal, it, you know, life is great. You know, looked at your share price, obviously, like a lot of producers in August, price, your share price went up, which is great news. And the announcement of the potential of the deal around December time, you saw another big spike. So that, that's fantastic. So I want to talk to you today about running big companies because with yeah. you know i think with uh size you get cost savings 
But also, you also see companies get a little bit lazy. They get a bit fat. They get a bit casual about it because times are good. There's a lot of cash around. And we've seen that, you know, the industry is littered with, with, with such stories. So what are you guys um, doing? What's the, what's the plan here? Are you going to continue? You want to get to this million ounce production a year, which is a, which is a great threshold to aim for. Very few, very rarefied air. Um, but do you feel that with that comes a responsibility to look after the, the pennies, as it were? Because margins start getting eroded. You're, you're, you're bulk, low margin uh, business. So how do, you, how do you, or as a company, look at that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. One of the keys is not to lose that focus as you grow. And, and part of it's about building a culture and a, a support base that has got that entrepreneurial spirit and flair that continues on. And again, having your largest shareholder being the chairman sitting at the end of the boardroom table does focus the mind in a sense and, and owning shares ourselves. And, you know, we've been through this a few times before and, and you learn some lessons along the way. Um, when we looked at this deal, this merger, we set ourselves some targets here of a certain level of synergies to have some cost discipline in it. Um, I think we set a reasonably low threshold because we want to be able to deliver on it. Mm. And, you know, we'll look at cost savings at corporates and, and sort of in country levels. Um, there's going to be purchasing synergies. There's obviously going to be cost of capital savings. And I think the announcement of the refinancing on the back of this deal already shows that savings potential will come through on day one. Um, all the global banks are coming in and reducing the cost of capital. Lubatala continues to support as well. And, and Ross has been investing at market, no discount. So I would say we've already showing some of those potential synergies. They just will be basically brought into place as soon as we close in probably late February. Can you just um, share with us some, some of those, those variables? So, okay, the cost of capital is usually one of the most single, most expensive components you know, that the companies have to endure. What are the other areas in terms of the, the savings you talk about when, you know, with, with the completion of this merger and obviously earlier mergers? Yeah, and when we announced this, this was an at-market nil-premium merger. Um, in the last year, I think there's been two of them, us and Barrick, uh, Rangold. And both of us were up almost 30% within the first month. So the reaction has been very good. And the way we looked at it is though, neither side was giving away or taking a premium here. We're both getting the upside and sharing in it. Mm. And I think the synergies required were not necessarily have to, they don't have to be large. And what we've articulated is, you know, up to 10 million of synergies. I believe there's probably more there in the midterm, um, but you're certainly going to be having two head offices in Vancouver combining into one. So. There will be, I guess, fortunately, some opportunity there to combine and use the best skill sets of both parties. Um, in, in Belo in Brazil, we'll be combining offices and we'll obviously use the best skill sets there. We've got actually extra scale now in Brazil and we'll be looking at saving on purchasing. And interestingly, Neil Woodger, who would be the CEO and I'll be supporting him here, um, we did this together in Africa. We went from sort of one mine up to four or five by the end of it. You started getting your purchasing synergies, your scale, and your ability to to leverage a, a corporate office, and you know, and, and then there's the cost of capital savings on the side. Right. So, and, but there's a, there's a couple of things that you can't control, um, which will impact you hugely. Which will be one is obviously spot price for gold. You know, what, what's yep. what's what's it actually doing in the market? Place and the second thing being you're 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 bulk low grade operator here. I think your grades with some of these acquisitions are 
up, you know, higher than we were, we were talking about 0.3 when we when we talked last. Obviously, that those gone up a bit, so it gives you a bit more uh, room uh, to make a bit more money. But those two components, you've got to closely, uh, you know. I suppose with the with the price of gold, you can only understand it and and have a view on the future. I mean, do you have a view on how long this is this price is going to sustain for? Let's start with that one. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of our theory and thesis here is we're and I know Ross uses it in baseball analogy, but in the fourth of nine innings here, you know, still in the first part of this this cycle turn, um, you know, gold has had a decent run. I would say it's mm. probably run a little faster than I expected at this stage. And we're kind of preparing the business to see through the cycles. We don't believe it's one way and it only goes up, but um, we think we're in the early stages of the turn here. There's still 17 trillion of negative yielding debt out there. Um, stock markets are still doing well generally. You know, global growth is slowing a bit. Um, you know, it's lining up fairly nicely for things like gold and other commodities uh, generally. And I think our business is going to have the leverage and the ability to you know, take advantage of that higher gold price, but it doesn't need it. So we'll manage the costs, you know, uh, particularly at the moment, you're not seeing a lot of inflation coming through, you know, in terms of uh, inputs for our, our business at the moment. So it's been a fairly nice, steady environment in that, that front. What, what do you mean you don't need it? I mean, everyone wants to make as much money as they can, don't they? Don't they? So when you say you don't yeah. need it. I guess when you see you see what's happened in the past in a few of the cycles, if gold runs up quickly, you tend to see everyone kind of saying, you know, I remember when I was working in Africa, everyone's making super profits, which may or may not be the case. Um, governments tend to want a bigger piece of the pie. Employees obviously want more of it. Um, communities do, you know. And the problem is that they don't recognize that so quite often that means the oil price is going up, your input costs are going up, your labor costs are going up. So margins tend to expand and contract as the gold price moves up you know and they do widen when the gold price goes up but it's not a it's not just a linear sort of relationship where if the gold price goes up your costs stay flat forever it, it, quite often they move somewhat in tandem although i agree that your margins can widen as the gold price goes up so a steady increase that's slowly happening or managed rather than some spike because of some event or incident is much better for the industry Okay, so Christian, let's let's talk about the, the, the converse there. Let's talk about something the, the bit which you can control to a large degree, which is the, the the cost here. So you're you've got this kind of low grade ore, but it's fairly is it it's quite similar across all of your projects. So that's the style of ore that you're going to be mining. So how do you keep that under control? Because if I look in your presentation, you don't talk about ASIC at all, and I wondered why. Yeah, I think. Part of the hesitancy at the moment is we'd like to close the merger, which the Mexican antitrust we expect, you know, late this month, maybe even third week. And then we can actually put out combined guidance. We want to be cautious here. I mean, theoretically, we shouldn't be putting out some kind of combined guidance until we've got a closed deal. Mm. Um, but I think people can see from our prior year's production and cost and, and how both assets, both sets of assets have performed, you know, they get a good idea, you know, and you can see our rough production levels at the mine sites, you can see our all in sustaining costs at the mine sites and um, analysts do a good job of covering us. I think about six or eight in total and I think six in common between mm -hmm. the two. So as soon as we close, we can then put out something fairly quickly thereafter that's on a combined basis and allows the combined board and management to get behind it. But uh, you know, it's just a few days too early right now to put that out. Okay, okay, fair enough. Now, I used the phrase earlier, which was buying success. Okay, you're buying ounces. Okay, you're building yeah. this into a large producer. And I guess what people are going to be very keen to understand is 
you know, are you going to be doing this profitably or is it just a case of producing enough you know, dollars to be you know, interesting? It's a, it's, it's a large machine that you are constructing here. You've got you know, similar ore bodies, similar processes, and you know, as you say, you're, you're, you're very, very good at it. But if it's you know, low margin, then you know, is that, is that sort of interesting to retail family office high net worth? You know, are, you, are, you gonna, are you missing the fundamentals of, of business here, or are you just in the business of building scale? Because again, if I look back in, in through history, you've got companies that built themselves up into such a size, they kind of feel they're too big to fail, but, but they do. Yeah, no, it's a, a very fair question in common. Um, for us, we set a target of a, roughly a million ounces. Leah Gold wasn't quite as specific about it, but I would say had the similar goals of building a business in the Americas that's diversified, scalable, investable. And I would say this transaction is the first catalyst in getting there. Um, and what it brings us is some scale, but the goal really over time is to create a company that eventually I would suspect we'll sell or, or divest a couple of smaller assets, we'll add a longer life or new asset that that continues to improve the quality of the assets in the portfolio. And in the long term, and I'm going to say two to four years here, we want to be paying dividends. I mean, our largest shareholder wants dividends. Ross would like dividends like he's getting paid at uh, Pan Am Silver, and so will a lot of the larger institutions. But we're still a growth company at this stage. We still believe that we can continue to um, extract some value, create some value through sort of enhancing the portfolio. And so we'll continue to do that. And I think a lot of companies have gotten caught in a trap of being either single asset or smaller, which there can be an exciting story in that asset and you see some huge success stories in exploration plays, but they're far and few between at the end of the day where this will be a very liquid investable uh, company for the long term and through cycles. Mm -hmm. And we're not exposed to one single jurisdiction or asset that will cause us challenges if there is an issue. Uh, we can weather the storm in a sense. And, um, the other piece of it that I think is really important here is the fact that insiders will own 11% of this, you know, which is a very significant amount for a company of this size. I think our next close to peer is 1.7% in that sort of mid cap or larger cap space. Um, so it's, it'll have also an owner focus from the management team and the board as well. Right. So and just to help me understand this, because I, I think it's important for people to understand the type of company that you are trying to be or grow into be. And yeah. you know where you are in terms of an investable, you know, company for for them. So you are you want that scale. So you want to get noticed by buying these ounces. You're saying to me at some point you then sort of take stock and go, well, let's just take a look at our portfolio here. The some of this thing no longer meets the new criteria for for this entity. We may offload those. You may cash in, as it were, to some degree and then go after a different type of profile to make sure that your, your company continues to be, I guess, profitable or more profitable. You know, the ounce, the, the, the grade goes up maybe. I mean, is, is that the way you're picturing it? How, how does this evolve is what I'm saying? You know, because I know what you were when we last spoke in August. I know what you're telling me you're gonna be after League Gold, but what is the thing that you're trying to be? It can't just be, we wanna be a million ounce company. It's gotta be more to it than that. No, we, we want to be one of the most profitable long-term, you know, companies that I can actually see through cycles. Um, we're not building a company to flip it, to sell it, et cetera. We're basically building something that people can invest in in the long term. And when you put these two companies together, we've used some charts in that that I think are a good analysis of this. 
the combined market caps, let's say on the merger are 1.5 to $1.7 billion. We've already had a little bit of a re-rate towards that two to just over $2 billion range. I'm talking Canadian dollars for the market cap purposes. And when you look at a lot of our peers that are give or take 800,000 ounces, a million ounces in annual production, um, a lot of them trade between two and a half or $3 billion up to $5 billion. We're only give or take half of that sort of range at the moment. So what we're creating is something that uh, has some re-rate potential, long-term diversity and scale and investability um, with a growth focus to it at this stage. And eventually it'll become a little more income generating as you get some yield from eventually a dividend here. And that's what investors have asked about that capital discipline, I think is, is really well rewarded as well, where you can pay some of that you know, money back to shareholders at the end of the day. Right, I mean, because I'm, I'm thinking of people like I am gold. You know, at one point they were nine billion bucks. They're you know, just under yep. two, two billion now. You've got BT gold been through the same kind of growing pains and, and falls in, in, in value. So scale gives you, well, I think scale, scale gives you some options here. But if you're not looking after the business fundamentals, if you're not looking after margins, if you're not looking after share price, cause let's face it, you know, when you're a big company, it gets harder to double in size every year. Okay, you can buy That's some right. of that sometimes. But again, the business fundamentals catch up with you. So what are the lessons that you've learned by looking at what's been going on out there? You know, you've got you've been an experienced guy, you've you know, worked in large and built large companies before, and you've got some fabulous people on the board. But what are the things that you're concerned about? Or have you just been focused on M&A, M&A and M&A? What's, 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 what are you talking about, you guys? No, I think for us, there's also got to be a shift to continue to execute internally. Um, we've got four growth development projects, so we will make sure that we've got attention on those over the next couple of years. M&A um, becomes more opportunistic in the future, I would say, where it's it's maybe not as front and center as it was um, you know, in the last couple of years here. And we've got to keep that, that culture, that spirit, the entrepreneurial sort of style to the way we approach things. And part of it's being somewhat lean and mean, but also... You know, when you bring people into that culture, whether it be leadership at your mind sites or even up at the corporate space office, um, you know, they come with that mentality and experience and also understanding what we're about. And I've seen a number of companies overextend themselves where, you know, we're used to put a, putting together that hundred to 300,000, maybe 400,000 ounce producers into a portfolio of assets, you know, building something now that's a billion dollars plus in capital would probably be a different strategy for us you know we really want to be careful of that right now our scale and size we've seen a few companies say all right now we're going to take on those big world-class projects but they don't have the balance sheet or the capital maybe the experience to actually take it on and it can very quickly blow up your balance sheet um, so we've stuck to our knitting in that sense and you know we're adding assets and continuing to focus on a portfolio that's in that give or take 100 to 400,000 ounces of annual production and you know the smaller scale development and growth projects. I think everything we've been building and doing is between 50 and give or take a couple hundred million dollars. You know, you can manage your capital, even if you have an overrun in terms of time or cost, it doesn't blow up your balance sheet. So I think that's also very important. Okay, so he, you know, he's driving this. You talk about entrepreneurial spirit, okay? And, that, and that's yeah. easy phrase to use, but the reality of entrepreneurial spirit is it's very different in a corporate environment. It can get killed, it can get forgotten. People, people, I say, get real lazy, real quick here. So who, I, I'm guessing you're going to tell me Ross Beattie, who's the guy that says, 
you guys going to keep this lean and green and mean for a long time coming? Because if you talk about timelines, we're going to keep this thing running. There's no end in sight. I think it's hard to keep focus. So what are the things that you're being told that drive this entrepreneurial spirit that you, you talk about? And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Ross is the key driver of that. I mean, he's built 15 companies over the last 30 plus years. And, um, you know, keeping and it, it's about putting a management team in place and incentivizing them also in the right way. And our incentives tend to be that long term link to share price and company performance um, rather than big annual pay packages that ultimately reward us just for doing our jobs on a day to day basis. Um, and I think that helps keep that focus. And, and then when we hire, it's a very disciplined approach to finding the people that will fit into that culture that, that really want to roll up the sleeves and be part of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily have a large corporate footprint, because I think a large corporate footprint can detach you from what's going on at the mines. You know, if there are layers of people regionally or even in corporate office. And, you know, we have very direct contact on a regular basis with the mines. And, and to be honest, Ross is in every week or two, you know, just getting an update on how things are going. He makes a tour of the mine sites. He just loves getting out there. He's a geologist by background and loves the rocks and loves being out in, in the field. Um, you know, and when you look at the way Pan Am's done it, I'd say they have a, a similar style and that's a, not a bad model that we're looking to emulate to a certain degree. Yeah. Has your, has your remuneration changed since, um, since we last spoke? Uh, no, it wouldn't have. No, I mean, I've been at the same all year. I'm still in the bottom quartile and <laughs> um, we had a good year. So I did okay this year, uh, yeah. this past year. Have you cashed uh, in? Relatively. Have you cashed any of it in? No, no, no. I've got, uh, I put $2 million in. It's still there. I continue to have my RSUs or anything that vests in a sense that I keep to hold, hold in my brokerage account. Um, you know, I see this going much higher and Part of it's just through delivery on our, our business platform and our strategy and our vision, but also I believe the gold price in our markets are in a really interesting point. I mean, look at gold. It's been at fifteen fifty for a while now. I would say the average person doesn't recognize it's three dollars $400 higher than it was when we bought Mesquite less than two years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, well, what the gold price will do, um, who knows in, today, in today's uh, climate. Yeah. But you know, it, when we spoke, it was you know around twelve fifty thirteen had been for a long, long time. But um, yeah. you know, we, again, so we'll, we'll see what we see what happens there. You need you want to hit this million ounce number. Are you going to be able to do that through organic growth now by getting your current assets into production, or is there some more M and A on the horizon? Yeah, we, we do have those four, as I said, development expansion projects, and, and those will allow us to get to that point in the next couple of years here. Um, it's fully funded as well with our new refinancing the balance sheet, which was also a nice reason for doing this deal or helpful to doing this deal. Both companies were out so tightly capitalized, you know, capable of delivering in a methodical way on their strategies separately. But now we can actually say, you know, the balance sheet is solid and strong. EBITDA to net debt ratios are, are very manageable and low. Um, and the cash flow from the operating business will help to fund that as well. So it really will be deliverable in the next couple of years. And do you tend, tend to kind of keep the company leveraged at current rates? Or is the idea to actually once you get cash flowing is to deleverage and actually make it a slightly less reliant on, on, on debt? Because again, debt can kill companies, large companies, if things turn in the market. 
No, it's, it's absolutely the case. We do want to continue to deleverage to a certain degree. I think this deal's allowing us to start to do that um, as we generate cash flow and get through these development assets um, the next two years, you'll see that continue. And obviously then it moves towards more steady states and allows you to start thinking about those dividends. Beautiful. Christian, great update. Been a while since we spoke. Um, you've delivered everything you said you were going to. Um, the tone seems to be the same. I'm excited you know, for, for you guys. The, this growth has been phenomenal. Uh, you just need to get yourself on the GDXJ and the GDX. And who, who else are you aiming for? The TSX composite, I hear. So um, yeah. stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on. If you come through London, obviously come say hi. Yeah, now stay tuned for the next six to nine months. I think there's a lot going to happen here. Buckle up, buckle up, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.